God, during this season. That you would give us a, a real awareness of ourselves, of our hearts, and again, of those things in our lives that keep us um, from just having the pure and unblocked relationship with you that you desire for us. So whether it's um, an event that just doesn't happen very often, running into somebody that we don't see all the time, preparing a gift, whatever it might be, use these tools of this season to bring to our awareness areas that you want us to change, you want us to grow to be more like Jesus. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. So this morning as you came in, you got a little bit different folder than usual. It doesn't look like a folder at all. What it looks like is something from Caesar Augustus. There went out a decree that all the world should be taxed. And the tax was not a tax. The tax was finding out everybody's information, everything. So we could Google you, I'm sure, and get all of this. But, but it's a lot easier to do it the old-fashioned way. What we're doing, uh, our, our child check-in system at the new building will be run differently than it has here. In fact, if you're newer, uh, you may be wondering just how primitive we are with little stickers. And I, I feel for Mike Lake, and he walks around with, you know, four stickers every Sunday. He looks like an advertisement. But anyway, um, we're, we're moving toward a, a check-in that'll be on iPads and whatever. And what we're going to do, rather than relying on old information and finding out that we had your child's grade wrong or something like that, we'd like you to just go ahead and fill it out fresh. So there are a couple things on this that I want to point out. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. But uh, there's, there's a place for a father and a mother and then another. And you're kind of like, okay, what, was somebody hatched? Um, other may be you bring your grandchildren to church or you're an uncle or an aunt or you bring a neighbor kid or something like that. So that gives you the chance to go ahead and fill that out as well. And then it asks for all kinds of information. We're asking for everybody, basically the information on everybody from an infant on through a high school senior. So if you go ahead and fill that out, that would be great. I can't wait to find out how many high school seniors are still having potty training issues. It's on the form. But anyway... Um, So if you'd fill that out, and you can do one of two things with it. If you get it done, you can place it in the offering, or you can place it at the table at the back as you're leaving, or you can take it home and fill it out this week and bring it back, okay? So that'll be really helpful to us to make sure that when your child is checked in the first week, all the information on their tag is correct, and they're not worried about being in the wrong grade or something like that. So this morning, we have the privilege of hearing from a friend of our church, uh, somebody who attended here for a while. And then was moved by God to take on a, a, a really a massive ministry. And it's been our privilege to support him through the years uh, financially, for one, to help the Green Lake Conference Center. It's one of the many areas that we send some support. And we don't do that so much because we believe in the Conference Center. And I know that may sound strange. We do it because we believe in the leader of the Conference Center. And his name is Ben Mott. And Ben's here to share with us today. A lot of you have met Ben before when we've gone up and done the, the kids' missions trips and, and whatever. So uh, I, I was kind of excited about him coming. It was kind of this debate, you know, do you have him come do one of the last sermons here or one of the first sermons over there? I'm doing the first 52 over there, so nobody gets those. But anyway, um, so he's coming to, to be a part of this. I'm grateful that he came this week, if not for any other reason, between John speaking last week and Ben speaking this week. I promise you that if I'd have been speaking today, we would have had 30 minutes of silence because the details over there right now are just kind of buzzy and fun. So anyway, I'm, I'm grateful for him, grateful for the friendship that I have with him, but the friendship he has with our church as well. And he brought his kids today. So what I'll probably do is, Ben, as soon as you get up here, make them all stand really high and introduce them, even though I could, but I'll get them wrong, you know. So. Good 
All right, well, I'll, I'll be obedient then. So we have 75% um, of our children here today. Um, Matthew, if you'd stand up over here, who's now 17, was quite a bit smaller fighting with Nathan, who is now, I don't think, trying to stab with scissors, which <laughs> did actually occur in the preschool <laughs> at Bethel. And we're not quite sure still to this day who started it, but it was enthusiastically engaged by both of them. Um, Sammy, our 14-year-old, is home with my wife, Crystal, because he had a series of jazz band concerts this weekend. And then... Emma is here, who's 10, and Anna, who's 7, are here today, too. So. <laughs> we were born here a little bit after we were here at Southfield. So, um, on behalf of Green Lake, I do want to say kind of a welcome from all the staff at Green Lake and, and say, as Dennis had pointed out, we hugely appreciate all of the different ways you invest in the ministry at Green Lake. And to simply say that your simply life-changing motto is lived out so powerfully in ways that I could easily spend half an hour telling you stories of life change that directly links to Southfield's relationship with Green Lake. But I'm here to talk about you. So, a test for you this morning. There is a very well-known poem, and I'm going to give you the first two words of the poem, and all you have to do is give me the next four words, and this is very, very well-known, so it should be quite easy. So, the poem is, remember, remember. What are the next four words? How I wonder what you are. <laughs> I missed a qualifying statement. It is an extremely well-known poem in England. <laughs> Apparently, none of you are educated in England, in an English schoolboy or an English schoolgirl. So, the words go, remember, remember the 5th of November. Why is that significant? Well, if you think of a picture of the middle of London and you will see the Houses of Parliament and Big Ben, the big clock tower is Big Ben, overlooking the River Thames. On the 5th of November in 1605, a particularly naughty Spanish Catholic called Guy Fawkes or Guido Fawkes moved with a group of companions 36 barrels of gunpowder in to the basement, to the cellar of the Houses of Parliament. And he was caught, red-handed, match in hand, about to light it as King James I of England and all of the Parliament were in session. So his goal was to kill them all. So he was caught um, and he was, um, he was punished. So let me read you the rest of the poem. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fawkes and his companions did the scheme contrive to blow the king and parliament all up alive. Three score barrels laid below to prove old England's overthrow. But by God's providence, him they catch with a dark lantern lighting a match, a stick and a stake for King James's sake. A stick and a stake is a rather understated way of describing how they killed him afterwards as a punishment. So, in America, you all have fireworks on July the 4th, and you're celebrating independence. We won't get into that detail. But <laughs> in England, fireworks happen on the 5th of November every year. And there's a firework display, 
and there is a great big bonfire is the additional element with an effigy of Guy Fawkes on the bonfire. So whether it's, there's a couple of things. One, whether it's really noble to celebrate this later, I don't want to make so much the point today. Secondly, I'll also point out that it is much more enjoyable to watch fireworks on the 4th of July on a lovely hot Midwestern summer's evening than it is in some miserable rainy field in early November in England where many times you're standing there and some poor person's trying to light the fireworks and it's chucking it down with rain and you can just picture the mud and the scene. So anyway, there are some differences, but my point is this. Remember, remember the 5th of November. If you ask most Englishmen who have been raised in English school, they can continue that poem. What that means is that set of words has held up to remember an event more than 400 years later. It remains in the national consciousness. So, this is a pivotal time. When I talked to Dennis, I particularly wanted to be able to speak before you move into the new building. Because it's the time for you to remember, remember two words. I have two words for you today. And the words are... Oh, you're going to have to wait a minute. I'm going to unfold it. So... Before we unfold those words and look at a couple of words in a contingent clause that I think God has for you today, marking this point in your history, it's helpful to go backwards first into Southfield's history, realizing that some of you are here for the first time today, some have been here a week, a month, a year, ten years, um, I think. The Hansons are probably a number two spot, who I think are in this service at the moment or serving, um, coming back into the early 90s, and then the Swanks will beat everybody. So you have different points of history. But understanding, basically, if you categorize this church's history, there are essentially three major eras, if you were to break it into three. The first begins in 1881 with the start of the church, speaking Swedish as Bethel Baptist Church, and reaching the Swedish community in Joliet. There have only been two pastors who've served more than ten years in all of this church's history, and each strongly connect to the two healthy eras bookending the history. So the first one served from the late 1800s until 1940, and he led a couple of powerful changes. One is moving into a new building in Joliet. The second was moving from speaking just Swedish to speaking English. Why? To be able to reach more people in the community. Obviously, not everybody spoke Swedish. And that particular linguistic move speaks so strongly to the DNA of the church at the time, which was others-focused, to serve others and to be outward-focused, not to be inward-focused. Over time, organizations have a tendency, however, to turn inwards. And in particular, this church turned inward, and there was a connection to a new building. The new building is the building on Black Road, which was occupied by this church from 1968 until eight years ago, seven, eight years ago. I should have asked that. I had got all the dates from Dennis, and I forgot to ask that one. But what happened in that building is that all of a sudden, the church became quite comfortable, brought a good pad of land that could have been expanded, and did one of those classic 1960s crazy building designs that doesn't have a right angle in it, and is designed to prevent more people from coming to the church. You could not expand it. It could not grow. That's why this church had to move. And then there was extra land where you could have grown to provide more room for more people to come for more ministry. 
and instead they sold it off for an apartment building. These moves speak so powerfully to a church that became more inward-focused than outward-focused. Peter Drucker, who's a management consultant, is a Christian, has a saying that the moment an organization begins to exist for itself is the moment it begins to die. And the scriptural principle behind that is very simply this, that at the end of Matthew chapter 20, the disciples are elbowing each other for position in very human terms that we can understand. Well, there's a whole group of disciples, but really I should be in the first group, shouldn't I? And this sort of elbowing's going on. And Jesus wallops that strongly with this very, very powerful statement that underpins the very essence of the difference between health in a church or any organization and unhealth and a descent to death or a growth path. And the difference is this, that Jesus challenges the disciples and says, well, listen, even I, the Son of God, came here not to be served, but my purpose is to serve other people, and therefore you must do the same. And if you're to understand the history of that church, the histories, the three periods are divided into periods in which at the beginning, for a long period of time, through the Second World War period, that was the driving statement, to exist more to serve other people than to serve ourselves internally. The later Bethel era was characterized by power dynamics, controlling families, and a social club, really more than a church, a deeply unhealthy church. Pastors barely, almost no one survived more than four years. Most didn't survive more than three. A really toxic, inward-bred church. And in my role at Green Lake, we work with lots of churches. This would be a textbook example of a church that should not be here. This church should be closed. But God has this great habit of keeping a godly remnant and of calling new leadership. And both of those occurred. And in particular, you have two heroes in this church to treasure, and I'm so glad to get to see this chapter. That is Roger and Janet Swank, this couple of deep godliness who stayed during such an unhealthy era praying and leading and straining towards being healthy again. So when the Paps were called, a team was formed, the Hansons were here just shortly before and became a core part of that team, and all kinds of people have been here in this recent era and joined this team. And I'll vividly remember, we came a few years into that time period, one night, a very contentious business meeting, even using the word business meeting, really it's a ministry celebration now is what you do. But in those days, it was business in the corporate sense of duking it out for some. And they'd rummaged up all kinds of members who hadn't been to church for years and rolled them in the church. And the debate was over the name. Because Bethel's name was a toxic name within the community. Everybody knew they treated pastors terribly and people badly. And the, the question was, can we change the name to Rock Run? The next name, which was simply anchoring a name in the community. And I'll always remember Roger's speech, one of the greatest speeches I've heard in my life where he stood up with the credibility of a man who'd been a part of the church for generations, for decades, and said this church has to be more about reaching those who are not yet here than just being an inward-focused club. And it was a key speech. It tipped the night, the name changed, a whole lot of other things occurred, and this heroic change back to life, this rebirth and resurrection of this church occurred. And you're living in one of the most exciting eras of that, having come through a promised land, like with Moses and Joshua, and moving into a new building. It's very important to understand your history as you look ahead. And to understand this history, I have a 
possibly slightly irreverent video that captures these three, but actually I think there's a degree of heroism to this that does connect to the heroism of a resurrection. Resurrections of churches is one of the most difficult things to lead on earth, and it's occurred here. So watch the story of this church through the life of a mouse. I'm not sure if 400 years from now you remember it, but you might remember that for a little while. So, you're living in a period for this church of a heroic comeback that, again, I want to stress. I get a chance to work with a lot of different churches and talk to a lot of different pastors. The resurrection that's occurred here is extremely unusual, and you can't explain it without Ephesians 3.20, which simply says... God, by his mighty power at work within this church, is able to accomplish infinitely more than we dare hope or imagine, and he gets all of the glory for that. It's a glorious change. So that's your history. So you're about to move into a new building, and you're still missing your two words. So before we get to that... It's natural when you move into a new building, there's a tremendous amount of detail. I was over at the building yesterday with Dennis, and we're going through all kinds of architecture and design stuff. There's a myriad of details you're all working through as to how to move this and that and all of the details. That when you get into the new building, it's rather tempting to put your feet up and have a nice cup of tea and a biscuit in a proper mug. Not (laughs) Now... First of all, a couple of instructions, because it's quite right to celebrate and to enjoy a party and a good celebration. So a couple of things. Um, You do have quite good tea here. I would suggest importing from England, uh, Taylors of Harrogate, Yorkshire Gold. I do have to point out that when you, uh, the mugs are very important. Fine bone china is preferable. I didn't bring it this time. And the other thing is that your biscuits. So by biscuits, I do not mean something that you put gravy on and eat in this strange manner in the morning. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm still not quite used to that, although I have to admit I did 
I held out and didn't try them for more than a decade. I have actually had them, and they're not bad if you wait till about mid-morning. But the thought of having them any time before 11 is horrifying. But anyway, so your biscuits, I should say, um, there is a difference apparently between Wisconsin consumers and Illinois consumers in that uh, this is, in fact, a Belgian biscuit, they're quite good, called Hit, which is my emergency backup rations from home. I went to Walmart, and usually they sell McVitie's chocolate digestives, which are absolutely fantastic. And Dennis are reminding me that they sell them in Walmart here. I went to Fond du Lac, which did stock them until a few months ago. They're not there. But anyway, so you might enjoy a nice cup of tea and a biscuit. And this is an important thing to do as you move into the building. But remembering, unlike the move in 1968, not to camp and just start having tea and biscuits all the time for internal parties, but to remember your mission and your focus. So these two words, what are they? Well, there are three pieces of scripture that have these two words, and the two words form a contingent clause which God has for you as you move into the new building. A contingent clause in a contract, legally, says that this will occur if this follows. It's contingent. But if you don't do this, this won't occur. And so God is giving you an incredible blessing we were just chatting at the beginning about the great skill with which we've done this building. So many churches will build a new building, um, but come out a little less blessed in that the mortgage is a dominant consideration because essentially they've overspent. This is extremely common in the United States. You're doing things where you're not putting yourself in that position. You don't have to compromise mission for mortgage. Very, very unusual because of some very smart decisions on this building that are very unusual. And it's also an incredibly beautiful building. And again, in, in modern architecture, there's a lot of churches that are functional but don't really stir the soul. This building connects with people's souls. So what are your contingent clauses? Well, the first one comes from Luke. And it says this in Luke 19, 19. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down. And he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's got to be the house of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came so that he could seek and save those who were lost. Jesus came so that those who are lost to sin can be found, loved, saved, and have their life changed. As Matthew one twenty one says, Jesus will save his people from their sins. The second verse is right on your website and right at the heart of your simply life-changing motto and mission. And it underpins it in this way. And these are those so terribly significant words because these are Jesus' last words. And they come at the end of Matthew chapter 28. 
Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth so that you are able to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So Southfield exists very simply so that people in this whole region that you're called to impact, sometimes those coming through Green Lake too and all kinds of other ministries you touch and where folks move from this church can experience life change through being saved from their sins and becoming disciples. That's the very center of why you exist, not just to be comfortable in a new building. That's a ministry platform, a beautiful, magnificent, holy, sacred space as a ministry platform so that all of us who are sinners can find salvation in Christ and become disciples and have lives that flourish and bless others and create flourishing businesses and communities and surroundings through following him. So the third scripture. I think when you look at the story of the Israelites wandering through the promised land, it's not particularly difficult to draw a correlation to this church that you had to make that sacrifice of moving out of Black Road. God blessed with selling it at a great time financially to sell a building. Um, God blessed in remarkable ways in the middle of the promised land. So the Israelites, if you remember, they're wandering around and God gave them everything that they need, but not incredible comfort. He gave them manna and the bread, all that they need. He gave Southfield this building with some great blessings. How many school auditoriums have these rather nice windows outside, the light that I always love in this space, and a proper trade ceiling, and a great administration at this school that's been collaborative. But it'd be easy to whine like the Israelites too. It's not that difficult to figure out on a snowy morning when you're loading hundreds of chairs into trailers how the Israelites felt in the promised land at certain points. It's a long time moving stuff in and out of trailers and figuring out where is the soundboard for this morning as stuff moves in in a building. All these things, it's been a long time. So I think because of that relationship, as you get ready to move in, Dennis, these are particular words for you, but also for the whole church, in that as the Israelites get ready to go into the promised land, we begin the story of Joshua as Moses has just died. And Joshua is their called leader to lead the Israelites into the promised land. So this is the Lord's charge to Joshua. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you, from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one, Dennis and this leadership team, all of the elders here at the church, who will lead these people to possess the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. And then here are these very clear instructions. Be strong and very courageous, he repeats. Be careful to obey all of the instructions Moses gave to you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left, so that... 
then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night, so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. So that only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord is with you wherever you go. Southfielders take Scripture very seriously so that you can flourish in your own lives, flourish as a church, and bring flourishing to a community. But we live in an age that's increasingly hostile to biblical truth and increasingly says, nah, Joshua, you don't want to do that. You want to move to the left or the right or to the wherever. So it's becoming increasingly difficult as, a, as the United States as a nation becomes less Christian in its foundations. Taking this stand is particularly challenging, but this is one of those clauses. As you remember, remember these two words. These are contingent clause words. You can directly see in the way that Scripture is written. So, you exist so that people can experience life change, salvation from sin, and discipleship, and you take Scripture seriously so that you can flourish in all you do, and God will continue to bless. And there's a direct correlation in the so that's with the seriousness with which over the past 20 years, Dennis and the elders and the Swanks and all of the leaders here have looked at all aspects of Scripture and the commandment to be more outward focused than inward, to seek and find those who are lost, to bring discipleship, and to take all aspects of Scripture very seriously. The so that of the building is a so that clause for you to remember that you're in this building so that you can continue to do that. And enjoy the promised land. Enjoy not looking at the back of trailers every morning on a cold morning. You can enjoy all those things, but always remember it's a so that, not just a piece of comfort. So let me pray. Lord God, I'm so thankful to be able to have the opportunity to speak today on this historic morning. And my prayer is simply this, that having walked around this wonderful new building that you've provided, there are these beautiful prayers that reflect the so that's in this message written on the floor of that building. And as they get covered with carpet and tile, my prayer, Lord, is that those prayers remain present tense prayers, not past tense as a piece of history, but living prayers powering this church one year, five years, 10 years, 50 years, and 100 years into the future so that this church is healthy and is the model of the church you wish it to be. We pray all this in Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Ben. So Ben pulled together two um, beautiful threads, ironically, that I don't know if he realizes it or if the Spirit just put it there, which would be even more beautiful. One is that during the season of all the change, we had everybody that would do it read, Who Moved My Cheese? So we have met the official mouse from Who Moved My Cheese, which I think is pretty great. But the other is that many, many years ago, there was a woman who worked in our office. Her name was Carol. And um, Carol would love to be here today. She'd love to be a part of this season. But... um, when Carol was going through cancer and ultimately went home to be with God, there was a Sunday that we had her come up and talk about her journey. And she said, there are two words that are getting me through this season. So that. And she talked about the so that's of scripture. 
and how that had really helped her to go through that season. And those words, every time I hear those words, boom, I'm right back there on that platform hearing it all over again. No video. I have a cassette, <laughs> cassette that I listen to every once in a while to hear her again, bring those inspirational words. So two beautiful pieces that tie in so well uh, to the history that we have as a church. Our servers are going to come and receive the offering as they do. I want to show you some things from this past week. Uh, we've been working a lot on a sign. You've seen the rock. These two ladies have volunteered to hold up the name. So you'll see them out there waving. Uh, this is the new screen that went up, 16 feet across. It's pretty beautiful. you got some counters where your coffee is going to be sitting, as well as a room where your coffee will be prepared and uh, some water. Water's good for preparing coffee. This was actually my lunch yesterday at our Q barbecue. And uh, if you haven't been there yet, oh, my word. But this, is, this happened just last night. This is the first of four sections of our stage that will be going in. Uh, Paul was over there last night just banging this thing together. We went to Home Depot yesterday and got the lumber for it. And, and what it represents is the number of people right now that are doing these great projects that are being pulled together that ultimately be put in that place. So you know that two weeks from now we're, we're gathering for our final time in this space. And on that day uh, we're going to be taking on a moving day gift and offering, one-time offering. There really helps us to be able to uh, bring the pieces together over there, making sure that the, the furnishing right is right and all those, all those pieces. And uh, John had an experience this past week that he wanted to tell you about and a way that you might be able to participate in your moving gift as well. So go ahead. So over the course of the last number of weeks and months, Susan and I have been praying about uh, how we might participate in this moving day gift. And as we've been praying uh, we felt God moving us in a direction of uh, selling an asset that we have and then uh, basically taking that asset and, of course, paying taxes on it uh, and then giving what was left uh, as part of our moving day gift. And as we considered that, uh, we were wondering if there was some way that we could, uh, instead of selling the asset and paying the taxes on it. We just wanted to give it as our moving day gift in order to maximize uh, what what the value of that gift would be to the church. And uh, we learned that there actually is a way to do that. I'm not going to go into all the details of that uh, this morning. What I wanted to uh, get across to you is there are I'm available to have a conversation with you uh, about how to do that. There are three ways that uh, you can express, hey, I'm interested in learning a little bit more about uh, how you were able to do this. One would be to send an email to the church, whose email address is? Um, southfieldchurch at gmail.com. Great. That was easy. Oh. Second would be to write it on your card. Would you please bring the offering back? <laughs> Go ahead. If, and the third would be to just grab me, uh, get a hold of me. But uh, I, I do think uh, this is something that God really allowed to come together very, very quickly and uh, wanted to share that with you this morning. Awesome. Thanks, Chet. Would you mind, why don't you just stay down sure. front, and that way if anybody yeah. wants to, they can talk to you. So what we have to do now is, I mean, I don't know about you, it's starting to get a little bit, it's like for a while there it was getting real, and now it's getting like, <gasps> it's really, really happening, oh my goodness. So Ryan's going to switch right now to our number, and he's going to press the button, and three is going to go away, and just hold up two of these. That's all we have left. Two more Sundays, and we are done. Two more Sundays. So as you're here, these next two Sundays, truly 
enjoy every minute of this. This has been a fantastic season in this place. The next two weeks, our focus is going to shift toward that final value where we talk about lost people mattering to God and they matter to us as well. Where we talk about the fact that it's not about us. It's about making sure that Shanahan and the rest of the world gets a chance to come into a relationship with God. So I look forward to that. We're going to have some stories from people talking about the way their life has been impacted during this season. I took this last week. I don't get to stand at the back of the church very often. And I had to take one just to say, I was there. I'll never forget that season. That was a great season. So, And the best is yet to come. Why don't you stand up? And I'm going to pray. And we're going to head out. Father God, I thank you for the valuable lesson we've learned today. I pray that we would think about the so that's of your word. Because you, you didn't put us here for no reason. You put us here to accomplish some things. So that. Let us not forget those words. And God, let us not forget that mouse either. Because sometimes it looks like doom is hovering over our heads. But... Uh, the Rocky song will pull us through and we will pump that iron and get going again. God, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful that in 1995, you didn't say Bethel's done. I'm so grateful that 20 years later, you're saying there's another chapter to be written and another by our kids and another by our grandkids. And we just keep going. Thank you so much for that. In Jesus name. Amen. You enjoy your week.